Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the TF Podcast, where we discuss technology, finance, and business. Uh, my guest today is Danielle Strachman. Uh, she is the founding uh, partner at um, 1517 Ventures. Uh, she has a pretty uh, interesting story of just how she got there, and I'm just really excited to have this conversation uh, with you today. So with that, Danielle, if you could go ahead and introduce yourself, please. Hey, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Uh, excited to be on your podcast. Yeah, um, a, a quick intro is that I have no business being in the business I am. If someone had asked me 10 years ago, would you be in VC? I would have said, what's VC? <laughs> um, I used to be an educator and a school principal. Uh, and oh, a school wow. Founder. Uh, then I joined the Teal Fellowship team early, uh, 10 years ago. I came on in like maybe something like day 10 of that program. Wow. Uh, led us to seeing some really extraordinary results, which led myself and my colleague from the Teal Foundation, Michael Gibson, to, to really sort of jump ship and start Fellowship 2.0 with 1517 Fund. Excellent. Excellent. I'm excited to dive into all of that. So yeah. um, can you just uh, level set for those that might not be f familiar with the Teal Foundation? It's, it's definitely, it was an interesting, or I know it's still, go it's still going, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I would yes. say, um, so, and uh, there's a lot of prominent um, entrepreneurs that have come through that as well. Uh, I'd love to kind of hear, how did you even get involved with that to begin with? So you said you're an educator, yep. so I'm assuming that had something to do with it. Yep. Yeah. Um, so this is back in 2010. Um, so we're, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing some sort of like Teal Fellow reunion of sorts soon. <laughs> we, we used to always say about the program that it's a two-year program with a 10-year time horizon. And so we're hitting on the 10 years now. And it's been really amazing to see what's happened. But to, to go back in history a little bit to inform people uh, the Teal Fellowship is a program that was started by Peter Teal back in 2010. Um, you know, for anyone listening who doesn't know, Peter is the first investor in Facebook, uh, is also the, uh, you know, one of the co-founders of PayPal as well. Um, you know, a lot of people know his work through Founders Fund and so on. So just very active in investing. Sure. And 10 years ago, um, he had this kind of harebrained idea that, hey, you know, maybe it makes sense to give some young people who have something that they want to build $100,000 as a grant to work on something full-time outside of school and outside of other employment. And that is what became the Teal Fellowship. It used to be called 20 Under 20 because at the time we were taking 20 people a year under the age of 20 uh, to work on a science or tech project of their choosing. And we didn't know exactly what the program looked like. Um, we were really building the airplane as we were trying to fly it at the same time. Uh -huh. uh, and I still remember interviewing actually with the president of the foundation, Jonathan Kane, at the time. And it was just all really new, especially as a charter school founder. I was very used to operational roles and, hey, you have to work with a district and you have to get all these approvals. and. Um, I knew some people at the at the Teal Foundation, and someone called me up and said, "Hey, they've started this new program. You know, you'd be perfect for it with your background in education and understanding how to run a program, understanding young people. Totally. Um, I have a background in homeschooling as well, and so it was really conceived as like an older young person's homeschool program. Um, you know, very independently minded and thinking about the needs of each individual person instead of them as a cohort. Yeah, but um." But yeah, we were we learned a lot along the way. Um, you know, we we read over the, our first cohort had 400 applicants, and now there are thousands of applicants who apply each year. When we left, there were something like 2,000, maybe 3,000 people who were applying per year. And I know the numbers are higher. I don't know what they are sure. now. But uh, but this whole notion of 
hey, maybe you don't have to school has really changed. In 2010, this was heresy. I mean, we were called um, the most misguided piece of philanthropy out there, um, you know, by people who are administrators at places like Harvard and so on. And what's interesting is that with 1517, actually just a few weeks ago, we launched something we call the Invisible College. And we saw this huge influx of young people reaching out to us for investment. But typically people are, have some sort of pilot, um, you know, they're going into with a customer or two, they have some semblance of a product, it's super scrappy, but they could kind of have something. And with COVID happening and people being asked to spend you know, tens of thousands on Zoom school, we thought this is ridiculous. We've got to right. do something about it. And opportunistically, over the last five years with 1517, we've been writing 50K checks into R&D companies here and there to help young people get those off the ground. But we said, hey, you know what, maybe, maybe now's the time to operationalize that a bit. So we launched Invisible College to do that. But the difference in when we launched the fellowship 10 years ago and when we launched Invisible College about a month and a half ago, completely different people are like this is amazing invisible college is incredible <laughs> there's the climate's different right exactly i mean even people who are pro-college are writing and saying this is so great it's so needed i'm pro-college but the world is just totally different now no one should be paying fifty thousand dollars for zoom school but 10 years ago it was i mean we were considered evil by certain people and what we really wanted to do with the teal fellowship was to help make it normal for a family, you know, in any part of the US to have that conversation with their teenager of like, is college the right path for you? Like maybe right. there are other paths, like maybe it's a boot camp, maybe it's trade school, maybe it's apprenticing somewhere. Uh, and some of the people we got to work with were really incredible. We saw, um, you know, it, what's interesting about the fellowship is that we were really selecting people based on potential. It, it We're not like Forbes 30 under 30, where we said, oh, look, you did this thing, and now we're going to stamp you with our approval for doing something cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was more, hey, we think you have potential to take the next two years, and $100,000 is a grant, and you know, work on something of your choosing with each other, with other people, with the support of the foundation, with the support of our mentor network. And we saw some really amazing, extraordinary things happening. So we had people like Vitalik Buterin who had not even launched Ethereum until he was inside the fellowship. Yeah, um, wow. It actually denied him the year before. He had applied the year before. We love, we love frequent flyers. Like the people <laughs> who, who like get knocked down and come back, I, yeah. like I'm, I'm all about the underdog. Um, yeah. So Vitalik had originally pitched us an ed tech idea. And for us at the time, this was probably around 2013, we were like, uh, like, you know, pan, like kind of like singing to the choir kind of thing. But then sure. he started getting into crypto and he was uh, an editor for Bitcoin magazine. And we were like, oh, this is pretty interesting. And so uh, my colleague, Michael Gibson, worked with him quite a bit on like the very start of Ethereum. We worked with Dylan Field from Figma. Um, you know, he kind of touts us as the people who gave him enough money to have like bunk beds with his co-founder, Evan, to get things going. <laughs> I love Figma too, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, that's another amazing one where it's kind of like this, like, mind blown, like, holy yeah. crap, like I go to hackathons all the time and now I'm going to virtual hackathons. But right before COVID hit, I remember I was at an uh, all women's hackathon and they were using Figma as their tool to like bust out their designs during the weekend. And that's like, wow. Yeah. Like that's so crazy. Or like I saw Dylan tweeted recently about um, 
some, uh, it was like looking for skill sets on a on job application. It was like, you need five years of Figma, but, but the product they're talking about hasn't actually existed for five years. So Dylan like was circling it being like, <laughs> I don't know how this is possible. <laughs> yeah, those are terrible. Those are workers. It's, it's kind of funny, but it's interesting to see that like, oh, wow, this tool is uh, being used or we have a, you know, or people like Ritesh Agarwal with Oyo Rooms. Um, he, he's from India. He applied when he was there as a Teal Fellow to do a Airbnb clone in India. And he had this sort of insight that Airbnb is not going to be able to do the same thing in other countries because they just don't understand the landscape. And what he was originally, I mean, this is true for founders all the time, what you originally start with isn't the thing you end with, but sure. I still remember taking Skype calls with him and he'd be in the background fluffing pillows at people's houses. And <laughs> then to this day, I can email him any day of the week and he gets back right away. Oh, Danielle, so good to hear from you. Yes, I'm happy to, you know, help with this or do that or, um, you know, do an interview with somebody about a thing. But it's cool, like, to see, I think they have, I don't have the latest stats, but uh, as of, I, I know, at least I think a year ago, I think they had like 10,000 employees. They're wow. the second largest hotel chain in the world. Like that's, that's crazy. Really um, crazy. And he was just this solo founder guy um, that we worked with. And then there's people like Austin Russell uh, with Luminar Technologies. Um, he came to us in the fellowship when he was 17 and he was working on physics projects and we didn't know if he was crazy or crazy awesome. We were like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I just don't know. Um, but he's the founder of Luminar. They are an autonomous driving tech startup. Um, they have a public partnership now with Volvo and they, you know, have 400 people on their team. And it's just, it's just wild to see that. And yeah. then like, lastly, people like Laura Deming, who she came to us in the first batch of fellows when she was, she was, I think, 16 when she applied. And I think we brought her into the program when she was 17. And she was going to have this sort of like to us, this nice little like research fellowship where she was going to work on anti-aging research. Um, but she came to us and this happened with a lot of Teal Fellows where they'd kind of have this like Teal Fellowship crisis where they would they would have like this early 20s life crisis where they'd say like, oh, wow, I have this grant. I have the support of the Teal Foundation. Um, you know, I have kind of the uh, ability to say it's okay for me to not be in school right now. Now I want to do something even bigger than what I applied with. And we, yeah. we did not expect that. We thought people were going to work on the things they applied with for the fellowship. But Laura came to us and she said, I think the gap in longevity research is actually funding. So I want to start a VC fund. And she's 17. Like, she's a minor. Like, yeah. we're like, what? Like, you want to do what? <laughs> we thought to ourselves... We're the crazy people who say some ideas can't wait and to yeah. support these things. And how dare us to be like, oh, well, maybe you shouldn't do that thing. And right. now she has two funds. Her first fund has done extraordinarily well. Um, and she backs longevity companies. And it's just, it's just crazy to see that happen. Well, you know, what's, what's so awesome to hear about all that is that, you know, you, you often hear adults or people adulting and saying like, hey, you're too young for this. You have your whole life ahead of you. Uh, you know, you should get a job and learn the ropes first and then do it. And so it's just the complete opposite of what a lot of people kind of have ingrained in their head or have been told either by their parents yeah. or society, right? So yeah, no, it's, it's very true. And like one thing we do with 1517 is that we learned towards the end of the fellowship, we started experimenting with some new things. And on our team, we're all about the scrappy experiments. It's like 1517 started with two t-shirts that said 1517 on them. We went to a hackathon and pretended to be our venture fund without, we had no funding. We didn't have a website. I love like it. Oh, I love it. 
Um, but in that same vein with the fellowship, we started experimenting, giving out small grants to people of $1,000 just to see if it could help them to move along. And what we found with a lot of young people was it wasn't just that the money was helpful to them because a thousand bucks only gets you so far, but it was hearing the support of people they respected and like real adults telling them, hey, yeah, we think this could have some legs and you should give this a go, mm -hmm. um, was just a very different mentality than anyone else who was talking to them saying, oh, you should wait until you're finished school or wait until you have your first job or wait until this or that. Um, and, uh, and it's not to say that you can't learn a lot you know, having a first job and, you know, people like Dylan, for example, are, are always touting like the early internships he had, um, you know, as a, as a way of knowing how to lead and seeing good examples. And I think that's really important, but it also doesn't always have to look that way. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So, okay. So you're at, um, at the fellowship, right. And, you know, everything's going amazing. And I'm sure I don't want to say it's comfortable, but like meaning like you know how it oh, operates, you know you know how it works or whatever. No, right? no, it was on rails. We we could have just been smooth sailing for a right. Long time. So like you the know what? Was great. It was <laughs> well, much like, higher than it is now. <laughs> <laughs> what was the crazy thing that hit your brain and said like, wait a second, like yeah, I might be comfortable here, but like let's there might be something else that might you know be more interesting for me, right? What yeah, was that? There were Things. I mean, one was that actually I have to credit my colleague, Michael, um, he started thinking about these things earlier than I did. So two years in, he was kind of like, hey, we should probably set up some sort of angel investing group or something to make investments in fellows. And we kind of tried to pull that together and it was kind of difficult to do. Um, but part of what was difficult is I remember like we, Michael and I have shared an office, uh, although I guess like minus COVID times for 10 years. Um, and so I like turned to him in my seat and I was like, like, what do we know about investing? Like, it was only two years into the program. How do we even know where these things are going to go? His intuition was dead on because, like, people like Ritesh and Dylan were in that second class. If we had invested, that would have been amazing. <laughs> like, we, we yeah. missed the boat on setting it up early. Um, but in year five, we kind of had this, like, um, we called it a hypothetical portfolio of, like, wow, like, we have these fellows that we've worked with. We've seen what's happened after year five. I think in year five, fellows companies were worth something like half a billion some, or nearing half a billion in market cap between, I think, eight companies uh, wow. out of the 32 fellows that we had worked with and um, or 32 fellows who had raised money that we were working with because some fellows were working on research and nonprofits. And one of the things that we saw was just how hard it was to find even people in the venture community who would take young founders seriously. So kind of to the point that you made earlier of that people are telling you stay in school, get a job. VCs would say, hey, come work at my company. They'd, they'd see talent and they'd spot it. And they'd say, hey, come, you know, come work with my portfolio. They didn't say, we think you should start a company. Um, so that was kind of the impetus was seeing five years in where, where you know, uh, Figma was, where Oil Rooms was, uh, Luminar was just getting started. I think that was kind of a big one where we thought, gosh, like, we think Luminar has a chance to be a market leader in autonomous driving. We think it's crazy. Um, but if we don't bust out now to do this, we're going to have Luminar be in our shadow portfolio of like, oh, well, we could have started the fund that year and yeah. we didn't and then waited later. Um, so we, we just saw a few things of that, like the investor community wasn't taking uh, founders very seriously in this particular cohort, but we had a huge informational advantage of being able to work with these people over time and 
as pre-seed investors, it's all about that relationship over time and seeing like totally. the technical chaps, um, do they have the ability to sell? Are they, are they able to work with other people? Are they able to build a team? And that's not something that you can get out of just a pitch meeting with somebody. I always tell people you can have, anybody can have three good meetings with you, but it's really about seeing like, hey, how does this person traverse a very stressful situation? Or like, hey, I want to see the product after it's been revamped three times. Like, and, mm -hmm. and you can do that as a pre-seed investor, but it takes getting to know people. So in 2015, my co-founder and I, um, we just kind of saw the writing on the wall of like, we could really, you know, like we like the, the phrase, go big or go home. And yeah. as much as we love the fellowship and we're still very active and, you know, consider ourselves like, you know, family members over there. Um, we said, there's a, there's a way to go much bigger with this. We can support more people. In addition, we can keep working with people who are great with the fellowship. If someone was a great fellow, I couldn't give them another fellowship. I couldn't be like, Hey, Laura Deming, you get another fellowship from us. But with a VC yeah. fund, you know, if someone's doing great work and they have an exit or maybe even if they're not doing great work, but they're a great founder, like, well, maybe they're doing great work, but didn't work out. That's what I'm trying to say. Sure, sure, sure. You can back them later and you can work with them again. And so I love that um, everything we are building sort of begets on the past of like, hey, our founders who are in year five of their companies are now helping our founders who are in year one of their companies or the people that you saw working on something, maybe it was, you know, ahead of its time, come back and say, hey, I've got the newest version of the thing that I used to work on, you know, will you put another 200K into me? And, you know, sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no, um, but it has this longevity to it that we could never get with the fellowship. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. Before I forget what, what's 1517 about like the, the numbers. Um, so my colleague, Michael is, is very big into history um, and, and very learned. He's like half bro, half like scholar. And, uh, <laughs> and so he, he always loves talking about all kinds of different topics. And I remember when we were still at the fellowship, I walked into our shared office and he he always uses just notebooks like he's a notebook guy and he has this page open and he's writing one five one seven all over this notebook page and i was like it kind of feels like a scary movie i saw. It did it did i was like what's wrong with you man like you you look possessed writing one five one seven all like we just all I, I hope he has a picture of this page somewhere i should find out if he has it. I hope <laughs> yeah he that. also has a bad habit of leaving his notebooks in the pocket of airline seats Oh no. <laughs> so hopefully he still has that one. But I remember asking him like, okay, what's 1517? He's like, oh, I think it could be the name of what we want to start. And I was like, tell me more. This isn't ringing a bell for me. And he says, oh, you know, the Protestant Reformation in the year 1517. And I was like, sorry, I must have missed that piece of history class. <laughs> like, help, help me out a little more. He's like, you know, Martin Luther. I'm like, keep going. <laughs> and, uh, and he says, you know, Martin Luther was nailing his theses to the church door saying that it was heresy that, you know, the common man had to buy a piece of paper um, to be able to get into the kingdom of heaven. And we think similarly that, you know, today there's another large institution, higher ed, that says, hey, you have to buy a piece of paper, mm -hmm. um, you know, to be called an educated person. And, and the line we sometimes use when we're going to hackathons is that, like, it was bullshit then and it's bullshit now. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and actually, we, uh, that was after we thought of that name, that's when we printed off the two t shirts, just two black t shirts with 1517, Gaudi old 
style font, like nothing special. We yeah. went to, uh, Michael went to LA Hacks with a thousand students. We had nothing. There was no website, nothing. He pitched the name. He pitched the, uh, it was bullshit then, it's bullshit now. The crowd went insane. Like we had mm -hmm. never seen anything like it. Because I think with the fellowship, people loved the mission of the fellowship, but understood that it was kind of this like, like almost like a special forces of like only so many people are going to get this fellowship sure. it wasn't as relatable but when we pitched 1517 we still have this saved but this young woman tweeted at michael yo i want to be part of the movement bro send me a t-shirt and we were <laughs> like what like we're a venture fund and people are calling this a movement like that's yeah. incredible um and i remember we got more exposure through 1517 and that one hackathon and you know, Michael said like, hey, come see me at this table. I mean, we had no swag, nothing. It was just a bare table with Michael sitting at it and people huh. running up and being like, oh, I want to learn more. Our first website actually used to just be a landing page that said 1517 and had our email and that was it. And people would lose their minds. They were like, what's the secret? Where's the That's Easter funny. egg? Like, sometimes we think we should go back to that website. Like as people just, people like secrets. People like oh, the totally. idea of things being kind of vague so we've thought about that a lot of like huh our community really likes puzzles and secrets and and things like that but that's how we got started and and we are a movement of sorts we do a lot of community building i always tell people from a capital perspective the biggest thing that we do is write checks into portfolio companies but from a people perspective that's the smallest thing that we do yeah uh, you know because in any given fund we'll do about 35 to 40 companies over a three-year period so it's about one deal a month but that means I'm talking to so many young people. And so we have a very vibrant Facebook group. We have a huge uh, newsletter list. Um, we're just mentoring and working with people and getting them to work with each other a lot because we just know it's about relationship over time. And that young person we meet when they're 18, you know, who kind of, I don't know, has some of the attributes that we look for in the people we work with, but they're not working on a company. We'll come back two years later and say like, hey, remember me? I'm the one who ran up to about reading Cryptonomicon and I'm now working on my first company. And we're like, whoa, yeah. cool, great to hear from you again. Yeah, well, it's, you know, what you're talking about there just shows the importance of branding, right? You know, oh. it's, some people might hear like, oh, you have a t-shirt, oh, swag, that's silly or whatever. But it's like, no, 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 like, that little part is like the impetus of the brand, right? And oh yeah, well, and it keeps our mission really in mind. It's funny, like people will come to us and they're like, hey, do I count? I'm a PhD dropout. And we're like, sorry, no. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, totally. It's a little different. It, it, is, it is really interesting. One thing we learned too is that um, we knew we wanted our fund to be a number uh, because Michael had noticed, he had a sweatshirt that he wears all the time that has a, a particular mathematical number on it. And whenever he wore it, he noticed people would stop him and ask him, what is that? But when you wear a word, people don't ask you like, what is it? Because they think they know what it is. Yeah, it's and funny. We notice that numbers kind of have this hypnotic quality. Michael's particularly good at branding. He's also the one who came up with the Invisible College name for our 50K checks that we wrote. Like he's just- <laughs> That's a great name too, yeah. Yeah, no, it's great. And it, it has historical precedent as well. And so he's really good at taking things from history and like pulling them into the present and it adds that relevancy yeah. and it has a, a bit more gravitas than just naming something randomly totally you know i always say like hey if you're gonna wear clothing 
it might as well have nothing on it or your logo on it, right? So I actually designed this shirt. Um, I don't know if you know what that means. I mean, I was going to ask you about this. I was like, we got a star, a T, and an arrow, and I'm like, there's some. Well, what direction is the arrow going? It's up. So say say it again. Star T up. Oh, start up. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I get this. I wear this shirt, and people will stop me. Like, wait, what? What is that? Like, sound right. it out. <laughs> I love it. I've got. So, I've got my. I don't know if it can show up on the camera, but it says kale on it. It says established fifteen seventeen on the bottom. So nice. We like to. We like to make fun. Yeah, it's like, like yeah. Why wouldn't you wear your stuff, right? It's um. So I'm I'm actually really into um hip hip hop. I'd like to take us a little bit off course, but yeah, um, more than like the music, I love understanding the backstory of artists. Yeah. And so every once in a while, I'll like do these little segments where I'll do like a hip hop history or like uh, business lessons in hip hop. Yeah. And so um, Jay Z is really interesting. Um, you know, there's there's a lot to talk about, but. Uh, when they started to get really, when Jay-Z started to get really famous, um, they started noticing that whenever he would wear Tommy Hilfiger or FUBU or basically anything else or anything mm -hmm. he would touch in a video would just sell out immediately. And so they were like, well, why don't we just create our own clothing line? And right. that's where he created Rockaware. And I think they did something like $80 million in sales within like the first six months, something create like just some astronomical number. But oh, it's wow. like, um, what I find fascinating, I think you're doing, it sounds like you're doing a really great job of this is that, you know, there's really a human element and then a people element and then a branding element to like why someone wants to, you know, find you and have you be their investor. Right. Cause yeah. there, you know, you probably heard that saying like, let dinosaurs die. Right. There, there's so many of like these historical funds, yeah. um, that are more just kind of counting on like this recognition. And so, you know, when you have a, you know, fun from the last 10 years, it's like, what, what makes you stand out? It's like, Hey, like we have a brand, which means yeah. we have more reach, which means we have more people, which means yeah. we have more access. Well, people uh, love the mission. I mean, people have said like, Oh, I'm so excited to work with you guys because not just because of how you work with founders, but because you stand for something that I believe in, which is totally path. And we, I mean, it's been really special because we, uh, we just finished raising our second fund and some of our founders from our first fund are now LPs in our second fund. That's excellent. Like, wow. That's amazing. Like that they are so like into essentially like what we do and like what they were able to receive from working with us that now they're coming back in a support role, which is just really interesting. Totally. No, I, I love that. I love that. So, um, you know, going, going on to like, I guess, present day and I'd love to hear, just how this has all been for you. So, yeah. you know, COVID-19 hits, I'm assuming what you were doing in January and February is completely different from what you're doing. I like was flying post, all over the country. Post-March. events like crazy. I was shaking hands and hugging people. <laughs> <laughs> shaking hands and kissing babies. <laughs> I know, I know. I was like, wow, I don't know if I'll ever kiss another baby again. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's been it's been wild and I'm still kind of adjusting to it in some ways because I think none of us could have predicted uh, the longevity of what's going on. I don't even like saying things like the new normal. Like, I don't know, there's something about that that kind of feels alarming to me. Um, totally. But, um, but yeah, when, when COVID first hit, uh we've been a remote team in some sense for a long time and you know we were doing work from home days and doing tons of travel and then it just was this huge increase in boost in that we've done a lot of remote investing as well so that was not particularly new for us i, I think 
some of the bigger learnings were like what were going to happen for some of our companies. Um, you know, for some of our companies, for companies that uh, were kind of in between funding rounds and needing to raise a bridge and to figure things out. Some of those companies, I think, were able to get a little bit of a break on like, hey, you know what, it hasn't been working and that's okay. And like, there's no shame in rolling it back and saying like, hey, you know what, like it's time to be done. Um, yeah. One of the things that we talk about with our founders a lot is that we would rather people swing for the fences and burn through cash um, and like learn a lot in a short period of time rather than be super conservative, hold on to their cash and then have something that's not working over a long period of time, especially because sure. we work with young people. I feel particularly invested in that. I want the people we work with to be getting onto the thing they're supposed to be working on as quickly as possible. Because I think early career success is a huge confidence booster as a young person. Um, and, you know, I had that through my twenties and can see how it's like success kind of begets success. Um, mm -hmm. And so what we don't want are people working on something that's not working and people are kind of in the doldrums about what they're working on. And you're like, Oh God, like, like get them out of it. So like some people were able to roll back in a little bit more of a seam, like a seamless way. Um, on the other side of things, we've had founders who have had to make really hard decisions in terms of scaling back their teams in terms of doing layoffs. That was really difficult. But for a lot of them, you know, they knew like, we have to make these hard decisions. One of our founders said something that I found really profound. Um, it was, we started our founder calls pretty early into COVID, these weekly calls we do for anyone who wants to pop on. And he said, he said something like, you know, we didn't like cause this to happen, but we're the ones in charge while this is happening. So we have to step up to the plate. And I was like, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, and so our founders have had to make a lot of choices that are really hard for a lot of our founders. This is the first sort of financial crisis they've been through. This certainly, you know, I mean, for many of us, it's the first uh, pandemic we've ever been through. But uh, a lot of our founders, you know, they didn't, they weren't, they were kids in 2008. Um, yeah. And so they didn't get to experience this. So this is the first time going through um, something very financially shaky. On the way other end of things, some of our companies are just kicking ass in the COVID climate. Um, one of our companies is Loom, they're an asynchronous video tool. Um, they were primarily used for designers and remote teams, and they, are, they consider themselves a public service now. Um, and so I know teachers at Berkeley are using it. I point because Berkeley is like two miles away from me this way. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm like, you're probably like, why is she going like that? It's like, no, work <laughs> that away. Um, but, uh, but yeah, teachers are, are using it to teach 2,000 person, you know, lectures and courses. Um, families are using it to keep in touch. Designers and coders are using it for feedback. And it, they saw a huge increase in their usage when COVID happened. Um, one of our companies is called Hamama. They are in the direct-to-consumer space, which we have actually done very little investing in. So one of the interesting things about being an investor is you get to learn alongside your founders a ton. And so we knew the founders for quite a while. I actually became a user of the product. It's this microgreens sort of hydroponic uh, product where you put these seed quilts just in, you know, three inches of water. Huh. And in 10 days you have these sprouts and, uh, and you eat them and then you recycle the sprout quilt and then you put a new one and you're done. No dirt. Like I love it. It's so, huh. it's, it's very, very simple. It makes any frozen meal <laughs> feel healthy because you're like, oh, I'm eating, I'm eating Trader Joe's burrito, but I'm going to cut some hamama sprouts and this makes it healthy, uh, which 
yeah, I eat a lot of frozen foods. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, Trader Joe's really does have a great variety of frozen. <laughs> I do. I do love TJ's. I People know I'm kind of a TJ's fanatic, but I have to be honest, as of this week, I've decided not to shop at Trader Joe's for a while because I'm like, I'm kind of, I'm like TJ'd out. <laughs> I got tired of it. <laughs> I, got, I got tired of it. I was like, I need to start cooking real food again. Uh, I love to cook. <laughs> Uh, so I was like, okay, I need to get, I need to get away from the packaged goods. But, but Hamama did uh, and is doing uh, just amazingly well. They have a, I think they have a staff of 25 people now. They grew from 12 people over the course of just a couple of months. Uh, they're moving into a new warehouse facility that's going to double their size. Um, and it's just amazing to see that, like, they're getting this product out to people. The idea that Victory Garden started coming back when COVID hit and, and people yeah. were thinking about growing their own food a lot. So it's been really interesting to see just the wide array of how our companies are handling COVID, how we're handling COVID. Um, and uh, we gave up our office, actually. That was something that's been kind of wild. Like, we packed it up maybe three weeks ago. And, uh, and I, you know, I just said, I don't think we're going to... I don't think we're going to need it for the rest of this year. Right. Um, kind of, kind of crazy. I think I'm still adjusting to this idea of like that my my life is going to be this for a long time. Yeah, I know it's weird, right? It, it almost makes you think like, do we just need to like cohabitate? Like, do you need to just live with the people you work no, with? No, so <laughs> just buy a big house. We just we just did a retreat for fifteen seventeen just for our team. I think it wouldn't be responsible right now to like have our founders come out for something sure. like that. Uh, we would love to do it. We love doing founder retreats, but the four of us got together. We all drove out from different parts of the U.S. to Montana. Oh, amazing. Drive. Like, none of us killed each other. It was good. We did by accidentally spray ourselves bear spray, which was hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we got together, and it, it was great to, like, work together in person. In fact, it's only been a couple days since we've been back from that trip, but I noticed feeling a little bit down, like, oh, yeah. I was just people for a week, and now totally. I'm you know, my roommate's gone this week and I'm like, oh, now I'm just alone in my house. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, yeah, um, how, have things, how have things with COVID been for you? Oh, it's totally different, right? Like I, so, you know, we, we put on conferences and events and uh, yeah. the majority have been, you know, not, not majority, all of them have been in person. And, but what's been great is it's really opened up this ability to talk with other people, you know, people like yourself and uh, I find, I find that I reach out to folks that I might not have otherwise, because I felt like not for any other reason that is like, well, if we can't meet in person, like, why am I going to reach out right. to you? Right. You know? And so that, so that's been pretty neat. Um, talking to people all over the world that like, Hey, like come on the podcast, let's, let's have a chat. And it's been, yeah. Yeah, it's been good in that regard. I've also actually enjoyed personally working from home because I have a seven-year-old and, and being around oh. him and my wife has been nice. And so I haven't, I haven't really minded it, to be honest. How's your son I do, doing with learning at home? So, you know, I, I'm, my wife is just one of those super people that just, she's actually, I, I, actually, I'd love for you to talk to her sometime, to be honest, if, if you're yeah. just outside, because um, she's all about, you know, education and, um, you know, she's not a teacher, but she's very involved in his school. And then, you know, he does this before COVID, he'd do his schooling and she'd always have him do like either other stuff, but like fun yeah. stuff, not like, you know, do this work and I'm going to do it. So, you know, he loves learning. He loves learning. And we've actually been talking about that because, um, you know, she was, when everything's first started happening, she started, um, she pulled him out of school, like in beginning of February. She's like, oh, this wow. is weird. Like this is, you know, she's like, this, this feels really weird and like different yeah. than other times. Yeah. And so she's been like homeschooling him essentially since oh, then. 
but um but yeah no it's it's been good she i mean you know i haven't done anything and so it's been all her we're, the, the beauty i think sometimes of, of just having children around is that they learn through osmosis it's like totally you're having conversation that you're like i didn't even know you were listening oh yeah you know with well, 15 17 we've joked sometimes like and you know I, we couldn't do this right now but like in the future we've wanted to be like part homeschool center where people could just like bring their kids and their kids yeah. could listen to pitches and like it's like oh, one totally. education that would be that'd be so cool yeah yeah i mean it's been fun i mean part of it like my son will every once in a while i'll be on a call or a call or an interview like this and he'll just open the door and he just kind of peeks out to the side he's like i just want to watch you know and he's like, yeah, he's like awesome. it's okay dad <laughs> it's pretty funny yeah well i think those those early experiences are sometimes more paramount for us than we can imagine i mean i totally I, agree I there I might totally be things agree. that you would look back in your childhood and be like oh yeah this podcast thing kind of makes sense based on who right? i well, it's funny because I was saying to someone, I was like, you know, it, sometimes when I see him wear a mask, I kind of feel sad for him. And then I thought about it and I was like, well, but that's all he knows, right? So for him, it's just part of the adventure. And when he's older, he, it's just going to be part of his experience that then shapes him to what, what he becomes yeah. and so forth. So yeah, yeah, no, yeah it's, cool. it's super interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you real quick yeah. before we kind of start wrapping up here is, yeah. What have you noticed from a um, an inbound interest uh, since COVID? Like, are more people reaching out to you? Less, the same? It's been insane. Um, I mean, part of it is that we launched our Invisible College program, and so we're getting a lot of inbound from from that. And um, we are extremely accessible as a fund. Accessibility is actually one of our core values, and so I would say, like, eighty-five to ninety percent of the people write in, we do a phone call with. Um, and it's like, a, you know, a good hearty 30 minute phone call to find out more just because we know talent comes from all over. But yeah, when COVID hit, our, um, our uh, contact forms went through the roof. We've had to start taking some calls at like seven in the morning because like we just, oh, yeah. can't, we just can't even handle the bandwidth. I'm like, yeah. oh God, I'm like, how are we, we going to keep doing this? <laughs> um, yeah, sadly, our contact form broke a couple of weeks ago, and I think I think all of us are so tired from taking so many calls that like none none of us like notice. Right. So <laughs> we're like, oh shit! All right, we haven't gotten a contact form in like two weeks. What's going on? And we just looked, and we have a backlog of like 150 contact forms. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, uh oh, we're screwed. Yeah, um, so I mean, it's a good problem for us to have. It. What's interesting to me is that. Um, I just feel like we're in a really like primed and blessed position because we work with students. We've done online stuff for a long time. We've done remote office hours for a long time. Um, where for other venture funds, I'm like, how are they sourcing? I mean, you know, I keep getting these invites to one of those lunch. I don't even know what lunch club. And I'm like, I don't want oh, yeah, to be yeah. lunch club. <laughs> like I right. want to be talking to founders, but like, that's how people are trying to source connections and, and meet people and it's going to be harder for folks but i think because of our call to action and working with students and our name and then what we were talking about earlier and our brand is out there um we're able to really fulfill on a need that's out there right now and so it's a good problem to have that we're like gosh i don't even know i don't know how we're going to get through that totally <laughs> that backlog that we were like no no there's something <laughs> wrong with the contact form it's like oh wait um you know, but but we meet great people that way. So yeah, it's it's been through the roof. Um, our LPs have asked us like, yeah, like what you know, we did a, a call with our uh, you know, and LPs are limited partners in the fund. They're the people who fund you to do what you're doing. And we did a 
a Zoom chat with them a couple of weeks ago as an update, and they were asking the same question of like, oh, or how's your deal flow? And how are you? And like, we can't even handle it. Like it's, you know, which is both a good and a bad problem right. to have at the same time. And so you're, you're probably living on Zoom. You know, what kind of tips do you have for founders who are pitching investors over okay. Zoom, right? It's a different dynamic. You know, yeah, it is a different dynamic, but I think, um, I guess it depends. So I would say for founders who have a little bit more of like a, it's, you know, or still early stage, but more of a company built up, like, you know, maybe they still have an office, maybe if it's an hardware product, they have a warehouse space, they're using something like that. I like to say that, there's the opportunity for founders to have second meeting optics in a first meeting because of frame control, like literal frame control of that. One of our founders at Hamama, for example, when they were fundraising, Camille, the founder would pick up her phone and be like, oh, cool. Hey, I'm so glad we're talking. Great. Okay. I'm going to take you around the warehouse right now. And then what, you know, and yeah. it could be really hard to get investors to leave their offices. Like we leave our offices a lot because we love to meet with people and we love to see where people are. Um, you know, of course that was pre COVID stuff and we haven't met people in person for a while, but, um, but it's neat to be able to see someone's space. And so I think for a lot of founders use that to your advantage and be able to like, if you're, if you're actually still working out of a space, use it to showcase it. Um, I think right. that can be really helpful. I think for people who are really early, um, you know, go through a demo with people. Um, frame control is real in terms of just controlling the meeting itself and being like, hey, cool, so glad we're on this call. Like, yeah, let me ask, answer questions, but let me walk you through a demo of what we're doing or let me walk you through a deck and so on. So I think I think there's a little bit of like a, um, the word power is coming to mind, of like, not like a power grab per se, but like you just have, I think founders have the opportunity to control the optics of what they're doing more than when you would typically go to an investor's office and have to be in their environment. Yeah. Um, oh, another tip is that you have to talk about the COVID environment. I can't tell you how many founders, even my own founders, who like, they'll send me the new deck they have for fundraising right now. And it's the same deck they were fundraising with in February. And I'm like, what do you, what? Like, yeah. ah! Um, you know, one of our companies just uh, finished a fundraising round. They're called Madebot, and they make a robot that cleans floors. And pre-COVID, it was useful for people. Post-COVID, it's like, this is really important. Like, yeah. you know, if you're working on something important in COVID, your thing is probably even more important. But the founder didn't have anything in the deck about like, hey, here's why we can, you know, we can do sterilization, we can do this, we can do like, he was like, oh, but isn't that obvious? I'm like, it is, but you need to lead the horse to water. <laughs> like, you, yeah. know, you have to do it. So people should have a slide about COVID in their deck. They should really be like solidifying on their, their mission for what they're doing now in a COVID environment. Um, so those would be a couple pieces of advice is that, you know, for a lot of people, if you're working on something important, COVID has made your problem even more important and you cannot stress that enough in your materials. Yeah, that's super interesting. And it totally makes sense. Um, you know, what, what are the kind of companies or you call it industries, verticals, or problems that you think are, uh, quote unquote, COVID proof, but from a startup perspective, right? Like we think of Amazon and like the fact they have, you know, but they have all this infrastructure, but like from yeah. a startup perspective, yeah, maybe not COVID proof, but become interesting in a COVID environment. So we're seeing, I mean, I can tell you what I'm sort of seeing, like people are definitely interested in online learning right now in a way. Um, there's kind of this like, 
this trope of the VC space of like VCs love to solve their own problems. And now that VCs are like, oh God, I don't know how to educate my kid. They actually care about teachers. Um, which <laughs> I, I find refreshing. Yeah, um, I've seen quite a few like VCs talk about um, micro schools and yes, things like that. Yes, all the rage. And yeah. it's like, these have been going on for like 10 years, like, but whatever. Um, but, uh, but yeah, people are getting more interested in education. Remote work is huge. Um, people are, I think are thinking a lot more about employee benefits and how do you take care of your, your team, um, in a remote environment. Um, I'm trying to think we, oh God, I, you know, I'm not entirely sure why, but we are seeing a ton in the construction industry. Um, I think now there's a couple of theories on this. I, I put this on Twitter. I was like, yo, Twitter, why am I seeing everything, everyone and their brother doing a construction tech company right now? Like what is going yeah. on? Some people say it's because Mark Andreessen put out his, it's time to build manifesto and people like took it super literally. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, some people are saying that like, it's one of the industries that's still out there and moving that people can kind of see. Yeah. Um, you know, it's an industry, there's a lot of industries that maybe were on paper before that need to be more digital now. So that is certainly popular to see, but, um, but yeah, there's, there's a bunch of different changes. Those are the ones that kind of come to mind off the top of my head. But the way that we like to think about things is not that we're going to put out to founders like, Hey, here's what we think is hot. And we hope you're working on this. We really expect to meet people who are going to bring us to the frontier of some sort of knowledge that we've never even thought about. Yeah. Like, you know, I love when I talked, you know, I, I won't say what the idea is, but um, I talked to a young person earlier today who has a really interesting idea in the mental health space. So that's another space that we're seeing taking off a lot. People are talking about like, how do we support each other in a global pandemic? Totally. Um, and on the surface of it, actually, the person wrote into our contact form and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, mental health. Like, I thought I kind of knew what they were talking about. But then the one reason we always do these phone calls with people is that people are way more dynamic than they could ever be on a piece of paper or a sure. And uh, And so I'm talking to this person and they're talking about what they want to do in it. And I was like, oh, like, this is really interesting. Like, I want to dig in more here. But it's like, I didn't have that idea and say to somebody, oh, yeah, mental health is going to be huge or education is going to be huge. It's more that we want to see people who are really passionate about something coming to us kind of in, like infecting us with that meme of like, this is, this is the thing. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. And yeah, mental health right now during COVID-19 seems like a, a big thing. Yeah, I remember when, when yeah. I talking to friends and they'd be like, yeah, I don't know why I just feel kind of down and been in the house. I'm like, Hey, it's, it's not, a, it's not a snow day, right? Like if it was a snow day, you could just go play outside and the snow is going to melt in a couple of days. Yeah. Like, this is different. So Yeah, no, it's, and, and I think people have, are, and myself included, are learning how to sort of give ourselves a break. I noticed for myself, I'll have like one productive week and one week that's just like, I don't want to do mm -hmm. anything. And, yeah. uh, and I think we're all kind of adjusting to that. This is going to be, I think, a longer haul than we imagine. And so that we have to, yeah, we have to get out of the mindset of that, like, we should be able to carry on just as normal, because we're, this is not a normal time. 100%, 100%. Yeah. Um, well, Danielle, I, I love this conversation. One yeah. question I love to ask as my final yeah. uh, question yeah. is, um, what is a question that you have that you'd like to ask our audience that they can think about as they go about their day, um, as they're listening to uh, this conversation we had? Gosh, what is a question that I want to ask your audience? Hmm. I would say, 
You know, one thing that I've noticed, especially during COVID times, is that it's also been a time for people to get back into hobbies and different things or learn a new thing. So I would say to your audience, like, what is something that, like, I, th I think we all have those hobbies from the past or maybe from our childhood that we're like, oh, I haven't done this music thing in so long. Or I haven't done yeah. this thing in so long. Like, what's that thing that you've been really wanting to take back up and how could you work it into your week? starting this week like what would that look like uh, I've taken up all kinds of hobbies myself between music and art and all kinds of stuff and so yeah I'd be I'd be really curious like what are the things that your audience wants to take back up that would maybe reinvigorate them during this time that has yeah. been pretty wishy-washy for people no, I love it and when you're when you're doing those hobbies too it, it really allows you to become creative right or you start oh, thinking yeah. about other things or yes. yeah so yeah. I think yeah. that's great Thank yeah. you. Uh, Danielle, what are some good ways that people can either stay in touch with you, yeah. follow you, pay yeah. attention to what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm on Twitter, dstrackman. Um, you can email me, danielle at 1517fun.com. Um, obviously, find me on LinkedIn. You can contact us through our contact form. Um, you know, if someone does send me an email and says, like, hey, I want to talk, like, I got a lot of those. So you got to tell me what you want to talk about like give me some some meat to chew on yeah. um but um but yeah reach out uh and we'll be in touch excellent awesome well thank you so much again for joining me i really appreciate yeah. it yeah thanks for having me on super fun conversation yeah definitely uh, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the TF Podcast. Please make sure that you are subscribed and do us a favor and fill in those stars. goes a long way to make sure that other people get to hear this great podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at JGProduct, and you can learn more about what we're doing with TF Labs at tflabs.io. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all soon.